When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A science story, huh? These NYU scientists, they... I felt it felt right. I felt right. I was so and I just thought, well... I figured it out. It was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true, personal stories about science. Valentine's Day is coming up on Monday, romance is in the air, so today we're bringing you stories about falling in and out of love with science. Our first story today is from Gregory Gedman. It was recorded in the Before Times in December 2018 at Caveat in New York City. The theme that night was, It's All in Your Head. I'm a scientist, and it's kind of what I always wanted to be. I remember sitting on Saturday mornings, watching Bill Nye the Science Guy and those Nova PBS documentaries, and just amazed at what science could tell us about the world. I have to admit, I've gone as a scientist for more than one Halloween, to give you a level of my nerdiness. (laughs) They were just the coolest. So I worked hard, went to college, and pursued research as my full-time career. But my place in academia hasn't always been easy. See, I'm a first-generation college student, so I didn't exactly have the roadmaps that many other students have. My parents, very supportive my whole life. My mom would always say, Greg, do what you love. Follow your interests. Do what makes you happy. And my dad, who's a little hard of hearing, would say, what? No, don't listen to her. Follow your interests. Do what makes you happy. But what made me happy? I mean, that's kind of a crazy question. But two things came to mind. Science, of course, but music. And not just listening to music. That never really did it for me. Singing. I would look for every excuse to hop in the car for a long drive to sing my favorite song full blast in a socially acceptable setting. But I eventually traded in the car for the stage because I wanted to share my love of singing with others. See, science and music allowed me to express myself in ways I never thought possible. You can try new things, keep what works, retool what doesn't, and at the end of the day, you're left with something honest and exciting. So, I followed my parents' advice, and I pursued a PhD in neuroscience at Duke University. And there I studied imitation behavior, which is the basis for our ability to speak and sing. And I studied songbirds because they learn songs just like we do through imitation, and in particular, these little finches, right? And if you've never heard a little finch song, it sounds something, you know, like this, like, meep, 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 meep. So not the pretty thing you hear in the park when you're you're walking, but we use them because they were reliable. And we would know when or what part of the song went wrong after an experiment. 
I mean, I watched this little bird who had never heard anything like this before, listen to his dad, practice, and produce a song that was just like his. I mean, I was brought right back to the car with my dad singing ACDC full blast. <laughs> I just had to know how we were able to do this. And my coworkers certainly made me feel welcome as well, no more so than Matt. Matt's an older graduate student in my lab with a fondness for practical jokes. Uh, my first few weeks in the lab, he printed out several poorly photoshopped images of me and hid them all over the lab, even numbering the backs of them so I knew how long this game would last. <laughs> the first image I found was number 210. <laughs> so we became fast friends and every day was really exciting. And after the first year of graduate school, I had to meet with my departmental head where we would discuss my progress and how things were going. And I mean, this guy was kind of a hero of mine. He was a fantastic musician and an even better scientist. And really one of the reasons I came to Duke University. So I was really excited to hear his feedback. And I had all my experiments plotted out, what I was planning to do, and he ushers me in. And pass, I pass all these long haul of accolades and awards, and I was more than a little intimidated. But I kept my head on. We got right into it. He says, Greg, how was your first year of graduate school going? And I, I just blanked. All my carefully planned points just kind of flew away from me and said my emotions took hold. You see, I had my doubts about graduate school. I told him that while I loved science, I felt lost in this environment. Like when I would take one step forward, I would look at my other students and feel like I was two steps back. And you know, in undergrad, right, we get these nice syllabus and we're with this, this very clear plan for success. But in graduate school, it was much more open-ended and I constantly wondered if I was making the right decisions. Man, this had been weighing on me for a while, so it felt so good to get this out there to someone who I respected. And I really just wanted to hear some words of support. But instead, he just looks over his wire-rimmed glasses at me, and he says, well then, maybe it's time to reconsider. Maybe this lab and this program is not right for you. What? <laughs> I mean, it, it felt like Floyd Mayweather just came in the room and knocked the wind out of me. And with it, you know, my confidence. I mean, here was a guy who I respected, who recruited me to this university, confirming my worst fears that it was all a mistake. You know, he, he said he wanted to meet again in two weeks or so, but the little voice in my head had already called it. And as I left that meeting, I saw Matt entering in for his. And maybe it was how I hurried past him or, or the tears in my eyes, but he knew something was wrong. He found me after to let me know, you know, don't take it personally, but the damage was done. My damage had a name. I was suffering from imposter syndrome. Every day I would find a new excuse to avoid going into lab. I would duck out from hanging out with my friends to avoid their excited conversations about lab because I couldn't join in. Even my friends from, from New Jersey drove all the way down to North Carolina to see me 
And that didn't get through. They were like, how's everything going? And I was like, oh, it's all good, bro. But <laughs> I was anything but. You know, the thought of leaving and going home crossed my mind more than once. But I kept thinking about how my mom was so excited to tell all my cousins, we're going to have a doctor in the family. And the only thing I feared more of failing myself was failing them. I was stuck in this, in this cycle of negative thinking. I just kept saying over and over to myself, is he right? I mean, do I not belong here? So a few weeks later, I go back to the things that are reliable, my bird songs. And I'm recording from one of my favorites, named him Simon. He was great, he gave, you know, he gave me a little beep, 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 and it was just exactly what I wanted to hear. And as I'm moving him from one cage to another, and my mind was wandering and he escapes. So now I'm in this tiny little room, this bird flying around my head, and I'm like, all right, how hard could this be, right? Just catch the bird. <laughs> Famous last words. <laughs> so at first I try the nonchalant, you know, just the quick grab. But Simon was my favorite for a reason. He was too smart for that. He's flying around. So then I'm like, okay, let's try nets. Now for a bird the size of an apple, I tried everything from those like little fish tank nets that you use to scoop out dead fish to these like comically large dog catcher nets from the 40s, which I don't even know why we had. <laughs> but everything failed. I feel this familiar panic start to creep in again. I'm, I'm, I'm paralyzed. I, I, I'm afraid everyone's going to find out now. Everyone's going to see the failure that I see. I mean, how could you do research if you can't catch your subjects, right? <laughs> and I was giving up all hope when I heard the door close behind me. Standing there with that ridiculous grin on his face is Matt. But my own frustrations with my own perceived inadequacies fueled my anger when I told him, look, there's a bird out. I'm not in the mood for you today. Just get the hell out of here. <laughs> but his smile just widens. And as he turns to leave, he slowly shuts off the lights, plunging me into complete darkness. I'm like, are you kidding me? This guy has to kick me while I'm down? But that anger was met with relief as I saw Simon slowly flutter to the ground. You see, birds are slaves to their visual system. If it's dark out, they think it's nighttime, and they stop flying. I was able to easily scoop him up and throw him in the cage. Matt knew this, but I didn't. And he helped me even when I pushed him away. You see, Simon was just a bird getting out of a cage. But it meant so much more to me. My fog of self-doubt you know, acted like a microscope. It just blew up these tiny little moments into paralyzing ones. And I still suffer with self-doubt, and maybe I always will, but I no longer let it cripple me. 
I'm proud to say, with the support of my friends and family, I'm on track to graduate with my PhD from Rockefeller next year. And that's an amazing feeling. And it took Matt, a guy who recently, this year, shaved his facial hair, cut his hair, to go as me for Halloween. <laughs> it took that for me to realize something. My department head was wrong. I can do this, but I can't do it alone. Thank you. That was Gregory Gedman. Raised in New Jersey, Gregory has always loved dogs, DC comics, and great stories. Through various theatrical and musical productions growing up, he learned the power of storytelling. Gregory completed his PhD in neurogenetics at Rockefeller University and is now conducting his postdoctoral work at UCLA. So he considers himself firmly back in love with science. Before we continue, I want to let everyone know that Story Glider is holding our online science story slam for the winter season this month on February 18th. Tune in for an evening of stories from around the world, and if you want to, you can put your own name in the hat for a chance to be invited on screen to share your story. Tickets for our slams are $10, and we often send out discount codes to our newsletter subscribers. Find out more at storyclider.org. We'll also be live streaming stories from our Seattle team on February 26th. Find out more about that at storyclider.org shows. Finally, if you're a fan of this podcast, if you, like us, believe in the power these stories have to reveal the humanity behind science, to change our understanding of how science happens and who it belongs to, please consider donating to the Story Clider at storyclider.org donate. You can also sign up to support us on a monthly basis at patreon.com slash the story collider. Our Patreon supporters can receive an ad-free version of this podcast, as well as occasional bonus episodes and other gifts. We are also, for the first time ever, selling merch on our website. So if you'd like to buy a Story Collider hoodie, t-shirt, tote bag, or more, you can find those at storycollider.org store. Your purchases help to support Story Collider's work. And we're so grateful to everyone who helps to make our shows and podcasts possible. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Our second story today is from Joya Dakari. It was recorded again in the before times, this time in September 2018, at Caveat in New York City. The theme that night was Game Changer. So it was a beautiful spring morning, and I was headed out to Berkeley to have lunch with my old friend and teacher in math. I remember having my tote bag over my shoulder and 
I passed my math bookshelf, tall and thin, stuffed top to toe with math books, and I thought, maybe today is the day I can finally let these go. After all, there are a lot of used bookstores in Berkeley, and it's a long drive through a tangle of freeways, and I might as well make the trip do double duty. So I piled the math books, heavy, musty, dusty, into the trunk of my little red Toyota and took off. Lunch at the faculty club was bittersweet. On the one hand, it was a joy to see my old friend again, and he hadn't changed a bit. He still had this quirky way of attaching a number to just about everything. He was my number two son. Uh, she was my number one student that year. It was our number three choice of where to take a vacation. <laughs> and after lunch, he walked me to my car, and as was my habit, I took my tote bag off my shoulder and tossed it in the trunk, and he saw the giant pile of math books. And he was visibly taken aback, as if he had just seen a dead body in there. He looked at me quizzically. I'm, I'm selling them, I admitted. He nodded sadly and then bid me a very formal farewell, as was his style, and left. I unloaded the books a few blocks down the street at a used bookstore. I remember at the end of the transaction, I thought, I'd better check inside these books and make sure there's nothing tucked in between the pages, and sure enough, I found an inscription in one from my PhD advisor at MIT, beloved to me and recently deceased. I saved that one out and asked how much for the rest. I walked out of the shop with a couple hundred dollars cash and a feeling of relief because I was just sure that by releasing those math books, I could also release all the confusion and guilt and heartbreak I felt around the demise of my math career. It was at that time in my life, I also made a commit commitment to myself about the arts. Uh, maybe it was because I sold the math books, but the arts had always been a, a passionate avocation of mine since childhood that I just as passionately was not willing to take seriously. And then I realized that the one common denominator of my life, to use a math term, had always been the arts. So maybe it was time to embrace the idea of calling myself an artist. Also at that time, I promised myself I would never talk about math again. To be honest, this was largely because <laughs> whenever I was at a party, say, and anyone would ever get a whiff of my math background, it would become this, this barrage of questions like a thesis defense. 
oh my God, you're an actor and a singer and a mathematician. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I don't do math anymore at all. How did that happen? Were there any women at MIT? Is it different at other universities? Do you know the statistics on that? Why did you leave? <laughs> and I'd be tongue-tied because there wasn't any one good, respectable reason for why I left. There were just a million small, partial, ridiculous reasons. So I just listened politely and then changed, changed the subject. I spent a good many years after that bringing other people's words to life on stage, and then I got this notion I wanted to bring my own words to life. I wanted to be a writer. So I bought this big blank book journal covered in Gerbera daisies, my favorite, <laughs> and began to fill it with stories, autobiographical stories, fantasy stories, and the math stories. These took on a life of their own. It made such a fine knot for a newbie writer to untangle. Why is it that an honors math undergrad student goes to MIT to get her PhD in math, passes her qualifying exam with flying colors, and then leaves? I considered this exercise to be something for my eyes only until at one point I was taking this playwriting workshop and our assignment for the week was to write an autobiographical monologue. And I was really busy. At the time, I had no time to write something from scratch. So I pulled out some of the math stories. And my compatriots in the workshop said, oh my god, you have to turn that into, the, into a play. Have you seen the news? I said, what news? They said, about the Harvard president. So I went home and I Googled it. And I found the Larry Summers controversy. When he was president of Harvard, he gave a talk in which he suggested that there were fewer women in, than men in math and science because the women were just inherently not as good at it as the men. And then I found stories about, I found the story about Dr. Nancy Hopkins, a biologist at MIT, a member of the National Academy of Sciences, who was in the room during his talk and got up in the middle and left, saying if she hadn't, she would have either blacked out or thrown up. And then I found article after article eviscerating her for having said that. It was then that I realized what it really meant to be an artist. I had something very fresh and humorous and unusual to contribute to this conversation in the form of my stories. So I did fashion them into a play. I called it Truth Values, partly because it was a true story, but also because when I was in math, I was just fascinated by this idea of what happens if in between the values of true and false, we add something in the middle, say, maybe, or even a whole continuum. It made a great metaphor, too for me as a playwright, to use it to tease out all those million small struggles that drove me out of math that I 
I could never articulate. The play was selected for the New York Fringe Festival. I was terrified. I was sure that MIT would sue me. <laughs> I ran to one of the volunteer lawyers for the arts who said, MIT suing you, that would be the very best thing that could happen to you. <laughs> it will exponentialize your publicity. Then the Central Square Theater, a few minutes up the road from MIT, booked me right after for two weeks. The Fringe Festival paper interviewed me about that, <laughs> calling it a return to the scene of the crime. <laughs> I was extra terrified. I ran to a psychologist to talk about it. She, she turned out to be also a jazz musician by night. She, <laughs> she smiled at me in this, this cool jazz cat way and said, you're on the right path. It's your job as an artist to stir things up. <laughs> I remember on opening night, I, sitting backstage with my hand on my heart, wondering how it could beat that fast while I was just sitting in a chair. A few moments after stepping on stage, I calmed down. I could tell the audience was with me, and it turned out the Fringe turned out to be a wonderful experience all in all. And imagine my amazement one night after the show when I walked out into the lobby and who was there but Nancy Hopkins, the biologist from MIT who walked out on Larry Summers' talk. She had, unbeknownst to me, come to the show and she stayed for the whole thing. <laughs> and she stayed to greet me. And then I was off and touring to over 50 different theaters across the United States, some of them so storied I never dared dream I would set foot on them, like um, the La Jolla Playhouse. And little by little, I came to realize that in leaving math, I had joined a very significant group of women who get to a certain point in the STEM field, science, technology, engineering, and math, and then disappear or stay and struggle. Woman after woman would come up to me after the show with tears in her eyes saying, you're telling my story. Even recently, I won a grant <laughs> from the Sloan Foundation to offer a companion mentoring program for women students in STEM to, to offer the kind of support I always wished for when I was a student. So by, by talking about math when I said I would never do it again, I somehow managed to take my life in a whole new unimaginable direction. Thank you. That was Joya Dakari. Joya is an artist, a women's equality activist, and a former mathematician. Joya's critically acclaimed award-winning play, Truth Values, a true life story of her experiences as a woman in the male-dominated world of mathematics, 
has been presented at more than 50 venues across the United States and has been embraced nationally as a conversation catalyst on diversity, equity, and inclusion in STEM. A companion educational program to the play Truth Values Community was sponsored by the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation. The Story Collider is so grateful to Gregory and Joya for sharing their stories with us. The Story Collider is also very grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. This podcast is produced by me, Aaron Barker, Executive Director and Co-Founder of the Story Collider, with assistance from Story Collider's Program Director, Nissa Greenberg, Program Manager, Misha Gajewski, and Senior Podcast Editor, Jun Chen. Special thanks goes out to Story Collider's board and the rest of our staff, including Managing Director, Anne-Marie Lonsdale, Science Advisory Fellow, Edith Gonzalez, Operations Manager, Lindsay Cooper, and Marketing Manager, Nikisha Roberts-Washington, without whom none of this would be possible. The stories featured in today's episode were both from shows produced by Paula Croxon and Tracy Rowland. Our theme music is by Ghost. Next week, our program manager and senior producer, Misha Gajewski, will be hosting, and she'll be occasionally filling in for me in some future episodes. You may remember Misha as the host and producer of our Two Sides mental health series that aired last year. So please give her a warm welcome next week as she brings you stories about unconventional methods. Until then, thanks for listening. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.